0: Thank you to Kent and the worship team for helping us worship our Savior together. Please turn your Bibles to Psalm 92. This morning we'll focus our attention there. This is uh, a continuation, a reading between the lines of what we've been studying in Colossians, you could say. But before we get there, imagine an industry that's worth about $263 billion worldwide Here in the United States, we spend about $90 billion on this industry each year. And here are a few of its promises, a few of its taglines or uh, advertising slogans. You could say, what causes Americans to spend $90 million on, on this industry? Here's one tagline. Great skin can be created, promises one company. Spend lots of money with another company. Why? Because you're worth it, they declare. Another business claims you're more beautiful than you think. So obviously, buy their product and unleash your beauty. Another corporation entices you with the infinite power of beauty. Clinique assures you that great skin can be created. Maybelline in 1911, at least they've been honest with us. Their customers know their... Tagline: Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. The simple truth of the $90 billion American cosmetic industry, which, by the way, has seen its recent growth most fascinatingly amongst sales to males, its industry is literally a (laughs) cover-up. Get rid of your gray, they say. Cure your wrinkles. They promise, stop aging. (laughs) What, do they think we're stupid? Yeah, we're $90 billion stupid. (laughs) Cosmetics, known also as the anti-aging industry. It's an industry that's full of vanity and foolish lies and empty promises, but we throw our money at it anyway. It's an industry that reminds us of our culture's view on age, and in many ways, our culture's disdain for age. Age is seen as a burden, age is seen as a problem, age is seen as something that steals, something that takes, something that destroys. Age is seen as something that takes value, diminishes joy, something that's a, a burden, something that ruins potential, something that's to be feared. Those are really cultural axioms in how we view age. We see this in art, we see it in entertainment. We even see it in older people themselves. They often express the fruitfulness of their lives as an age gone by. We see it in business. We see it in technology. We used to see it in politics, but now our president's 105. Our culture says age is a problem and a deterrent. It keeps us from satisfaction. It keeps us from fruitfulness. But here's my main Concern, this anti-aging view that being old is bad has infiltrated the church. What God has given to be our help What God gives us to encourage his people, what God gives us to guide his people, what God gives us to help his people, what God has given his people to understand his past and to be faithful in his present and to trust him for the future, the aged people, the older saints, the church has put in a box on the top shelf and said, here's your own ministry. You can have it, but stay out of the rest of it. So today I want to focus on why the church needs our seasoned saints And what the church needs from them. I know the church on the whole hasn't tapped into the value of the aged in the Christian life. I don't think GBC squeezes the wisdom out of our older saints the way we should. The church should be the place where older people and seasoned saints are most valued. Because the Bible describes the wonder of what older saints offer to the people of God. If you remember in Colossians, we've talked about children. We've talked about Husbands, we've talked about wives, talked about dads and moms. And though Paul addresses older saints in places like Titus, he doesn't address them in Colossae because I think there wasn't any old saints in Colossae. It was a young, fresh church. and I'm guessing there was no second-generation, third-generation believers there. They were, must have been all young. Epaphras says, I got these young people that need help, Paul. So Paul writes to the young people. But the Bible instructs the people of God to value and to revere the wisdom God has given us. In older saints. I preached on it in Titus, maybe eight verses, eight or so messages. If you want that, you can go find it on the website. But today we're going to be in Psalm 92. We'll spend some time considering what God has given us as a church, as the people of God, in His seasoned saints. In fact, I'd like us to consider five means of grace seasoned saints provide the church. So stand with me and read from Psalm 92, a psalm of worship to the Lord, a psalm of instruction from the Lord, a psalm that gives us a beautiful Reminder about the Lord's provision of older saints, Psalm 92. The inspired title is simple, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. Verse one, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, Have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. Verse 8. But you, O Lord... Are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Verse 14, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we find a beautiful gift of yours to your people and our older saints amongst us. Help us this morning to understand as we come to worship you as those bought with a price, to realize how kind you've been to us, to give us this body as family, to give us this body young and old, to give us this body each for each other. Help us. We need it. Our lives are busy. Our minds are full. The world offers everything we need. Help us to see what we truly need. I ask you this morning that you would give us grace to understand how you value age and how you demand that we leverage age for your glory. Help our young people listen and set the direction of our lives, help our old people hear and obey. Help us. We need it. So we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I thank you. You can be seated. Five means of grace. Seasoned saints provide the church. Number one, seasoned saints are an example of the Lord's joy. You see that in the first four verses. Notice this psalm is very unique. If you read the psalms often, you'll Notice there's something that you only see here in this psalm and something that you only see in a couple of other psalms. First, as the title is given to us, this was a a psalm for the Sabbath. This is the only time we see the word Sabbath used in all the psalms. I think that's very instructive on how we should view worship. All the hymn book God inspired for his people, and the only hymn that was expressly for the day of worship is this one. Why? Because all the Psalms are for every day all the time. That's how God's people are to worship. No doubt this Psalm was to be sung and recited on the Sabbath, but in addition, it was for every day, just as the other Psalms are to be used to worship God every day. The Sabbath, though, helps us understand this Psalm to a degree. What was the idea behind the Sabbath? Oftentimes we think, well, the Sabbath was the day that Israel rested, and that's definitely a part of it, but it was way more than a day off. It was more a day of faith than a day of celebration. In a time in world history when 99 plus percent of people had to labor every single day to make sure they could eat today and maybe tomorrow, to take a day off in that world was an act of faith. It was a testimony that your God was going to provide. A day off was a testimony from Israel to the world that their God was in control. A day off was a reminder to Israel that they served a God who loved and cared for and sought out this fellowship with his people. Sabbath was a day when Israel focused her heart on God and fellowshiped with him. Imagine other local deities. They were really only known in times of trouble or bounty. They were always needing to be appeased when there was difficulty or needing to be praised when there was enough. Yahweh, by contrast, says every seven days you're gonna stop and you're gonna remember me. You're gonna rest and you're gonna worship me. You're gonna celebrate me. You're gonna commune with me. Doesn't matter about the rain, doesn't matter about the crops, you're gonna trust me. And Sabbath, a time for Israel to rest and remember the worship and worship the work. Or worship God for his work. There's a contrast. God has worked. Israel rests. Israel has to look at what God has done. And this psalm, from beginning to end, is instructing the people of God how to view the work of God and how to respond to the work of God. As the psalmist begins, we immediately catch the thrust of this psalm. In verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Notice in that worship, what do you see? you see instruction. The psalmist is not just saying, praise the Lord. He's saying it is good to give thanks to the Lord. This is a psalm of worship, but a psalm of instruction as well. Beyond personal rejoicing is a public declaration and a command to exalt the Lord. If you want what is good, if you desire what God offers, if you want to experience God's goodness, then give thanks to the Lord. Not only is it right to give thanks Not only does God deserve our thanks, but it's good for us to give thanks for God's creation, to give thanks for the goodness of God. Not only do you give thanks and sing praises, but in verse 2, you declare. You make a definitive, factual statement about what you know. Verse 2, the declaration is the meaty goodness of God's love. This is the covenant-keeping love of God that we're declaring. God's has said, "Love the truth of God's steadfast love is that it cannot be removed; it cannot be broken." This kind of love from God—it's not a, an emotional response uh, of His pity to us in our weakness. This kind of love from God is not a cerebral calculation of our needs and His ability to meet. Our needs. This kind of love is the keynote of God's love because it reflects the perfect, steadfast character of God. This is God's loyal love, his forever love, his permanent love, his sharpie marker love, his faithful love, his never gonna send it away kind of love. This is God says, You're not good enough, but my love is, and I've set it on you, you're always going to be mine. That's this kind of love. There's no condition to this kind of love other than God's character. He says his love is upon you, so his love is upon you. It doesn't matter what you say. This love endures every circumstance, it conquers every obstacle, it crushes every enemy, and every single time you try to get away, away from it, you are brought back by it. The reality of God's steadfast loving kindness will grip us for eternity. So the psalmist is in essence saying, why isn't it gripping us now? That should be our declaration. It ought to hold our lives that God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, who so loves the rebellious of his creation that even in their sinful states, He, because of his covenant love with them, because of that love, he sent his son to die for us that he might deliver us from our sins and redeem us, purchasing out of the market of sin into his perfect family, adopting us to be sons, no longer enemies, giving us an inheritance that will be as glorious as the God who has promised it to us. Friends, Shouldn't that dominate our lives? It will dominate our lives for eternity. Shouldn't it dominate our lives now for this temporal moment of time we call life? Can we not worship God for his faithfulness, that he can never fail, that his love will never pass away? Not only should the instruments of our life be pointed at this kind of love, but our hearts should be tuned to display and the the, the joy that results from this kind of love rightly understood. Our lives should tell the world, should tell the church, should tell our family, should tell our friends, should tell our neighbors, should tell our kids that God has loved me, and because of God's love for me, He's brought joy to me. Because of what God has done for me, I can't help but having joy in me that comes out of me, from war to happiness, from pain and suffering to blessing and family. That's the result of verse 4. Do you see? In verse 4, is the result. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, at the works of your hands, I sing for joy. You know, there's two kinds of old people those with joy and those who don't have joy. All the older people got aches and pains, at least that's what they tell me. All the older people have a fixed income struggle. All the older people slow down eventually. All older people get tired of doctor's appointments. All older people. lots of things, but there's two kinds of old people, those with joy and those without. The older people that are the means of grace to the church are the older people who have seen the work of God, verse 4, and the result is their life is filled with joy. They have watched God work over and over and over for decades, and it hasn't gotten boring or monotonous. It's gotten amazing, and it comes out of their life in joy. They sing for joy. Why? Because they migrate like a bird to a better climate in the winter. Is that why they sing for joy? They sing for joy. Why? Because they don't have to punch the clock? Why do they sing for joy? Because they see the work of God. Friends, we must strive to see God's work that we might be made glad and sing for joy at the work of God's hands. Young people... Don't find joy in things that don't last. Old people, show us where joy is because we see the work of God, then we have joy. Be our example. Show us the Lord's joy that comes from knowing the work of the Lord above anything else is what really makes your heart glad and causes you to have joy. Second, look at verses 5 to 7 and find that seasoned saints are most equipped by God to give testimony of the Lord's preeminence. Seasoned saints are most equipped by God to give testimony to the Lord's preeminence. Have you ever noticed almost everything in your life claims to be the most important thing in your life? Nearly everything that you do or are a part of or whatever, it's, it's the most important thing. Gym membership. Man, you gotta go every single day or you're not getting your money's worth. You're cheating yourself. Come on, let's go to the gym. Let's all be fit, live three weeks longer. Do it. <laughs> college. like It's the most important thing when you're doing it. It's all you're supposed to focus on. Everything about it, just do college. Okay. Rack that debt up. Mm-hmm. Lions Club. Man, you got to make it happen. All the fundraisers. You got to be there. Make the pancakes. Get eyeglasses for the kids. Let's do it. It's the most important thing in your life. Except for churches. Churches are like, well, Give us an hour or so a month, as long as you set up recurring giving on your online tithing. We don't really care if you come or not. Just occasionally, it'd be great. What in the world? We're upside down. Our culture doesn't know beans from buckshot. Everything in life claims to be important. What is important? Maybe it's a car. That's a great thing to find eternally valuable. A car the moment you drove it off the lot, you now like, don't have what you just did. It's less. It's always going to depreciate. You know one guy who bought a car a long time ago and kept it his whole life, and you're going to say that that's going to be your retirement or something. Come on. Like, we put value in things that aren't valuable. We work hard for those things. What do we need? We need people to tell us that we're knuckleheads. We need people to tell us this isn't where you find joy. We need people to tell us this isn't where you find life. We need people to tell us the simple truths of verse 5, that how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. We need older people with the right priorities to teach us and give testimony to the preeminence of the Lord in all things that Jesus is in front of everything else. Not your gym membership, not your car that you're paying on, not your vacation home that you want, but Jesus. The supremacy of the Lord exalted his position above everything else. We need older people to say the work of God is greater than anything for the work of man. The truth of God is more profound than anything from the minds of man. Verse 5, the words and deeds of God. That's, That's what it's talking about. Thought and action. In everything, God is preeminent. But young people get themselves in a book club by an author who uses Christian words cloaked in worldly wisdom and offers something new and flashy and shiny, and they jump on it. I mean, it's all about it. Oh, this is amazing. It's like that tram at the fair. It goes, I can walk backwards pulling a stroller faster than that tram goes, but everybody sees it go by and they're like, let's get on the tram. It gets you from the parking lot. It takes you 15 minutes to get because it waves up and down and you're all dusty and sweaty. What's a joke? I mean, it's got a John Deere tractor. It's cool to look at for about three minutes. And then just, why are we riding the tram? That's worldly wisdom. Just walk. You went to the fair. You're going to walk like seven miles. Why not walk a thousand yards and get there? Anyway, that's worldly wisdom. A life lived for the Lord brings sober-mindedness. Older people have a sober-mindedness. Verse 7, well, verse 6. Why don't we understand life as we should? Because what goes along with youth? Verse 6, stupidity. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand. We need help. Age a life lived for the Lord, it brings along with it wisdom. A life lived for the Lord brings that sober mindedness that our youth needs. Verse 7 Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. You could summarize this time is short, life is short. Don't be stupid. That's what the psalmist is saying. Stop playing games with life. Stop living for fun and live for God. Live for something eternal. Live with God over your whole life. Make him preeminent over everything. Not the little things that you want. Not the little things that you think will make your life better. Aim for God. He will alone make your life better. Seasoned saints, they've often stopped pursuing the allure of the world. They've seen it, It's hollow. They've bought the timeshare and realized, yeah, not worth it. Don't buy timeshares. My goodness. Anyway, seasoned saints have decided to focus on what God offers through living for him and serving him while they wait on true fulfillment in him later. They realize this life is not where you find it all. The next life is where you find everything you're looking for Now, they understand this world and this life is not all for fun and happiness. This world is full of suffering. This world is full of pain and struggle and heartache, but God offers perfect satisfaction, perfect rest, perfect leisure, but not here in eternity. They understand often seasoned saints realize that this life, the will of God is not your happiness. The will of God is your sanctification for 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. They've seen God supply over and over their needs, and they've seen the hollowness of their wants. They've seen God supply their needs, Philippians four nineteen, and they've seen it over and over for decades. They don't chase after what the foolishness of youth so often pursues. They have found greatness and discovered true wisdom, not in the world, not in stuff, but in God. They don't waste their life searching for what God gives us and promises in eternity. Seasoned saints have learned more, and they've learned more longer than young people. Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm 25, verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Seasoned saints They know this. They've lived so much life. They've learned so many lessons. Some because they're wise and they watch others. Some because they used to be fools. And now they're wise. Because they learned through pain and suffering. And now they're wise. They've learned to stop looking for fun and pleasure and temporal joy instead. Pursue God. Don't allow those things to arrest and captivate you like like when you're young. Pursue the Lord and find that He is what you need. The testimony of the seasoned saints, if young people will listen, is the Lord is preeminent. The Lord is all you need. Not only have they learned this through the word and prayer and the spirit, but they've seen it in the inadequacy of what the world has to offer. Seasoned saints have been disappointed by the world over and over and over. Youth-filled Christians are enticed by the world over over. And over and over, we can learn only the greatness and profundity of this life. The only place it's found is in the Lord. Make him preeminent over all things. Third, verse eight, seasoned saints are most equipped to affirm the Lord's glory. So you see what happens here is the psalmist is coming to a point really quite literally. The psalm's a chiasm beginning and the end of the psalm correspond. The middle thirds correspond or the Yeah, anyway, and then this is the point. It's like A and A prime, B and B prime, and then verse eight. What is it? God is on high forever. Verse eight begins with a but. It's a contrast. You see, the wicked are doomed to destruction forever, but the Lord is on high forever. He's on high. What's that mean? It means he's worthy to be worshiped. It's just who he is, worthy of worship forever. Wicked, doomed, forever. The psalmist makes emphatic that this is God and God alone. It's just God. It's on high forever. You know, I love to see young people on fire for the Lord. It's exciting. Some bunch of them just came back from camp. They're going to be excited. To all their career choices, all their dating choices, all their car choices are all going to be about the Lord, you know? I love it. Sometimes it lasts, sometimes it doesn't. But when you find old people on fire for the Lord, that is something to behold. When you see old people order their life around the worship of God who's on high forever, that changes the lives of young people around them. When you see old people on fire for the Lord, they're not on an emotional high. They've made a choice. They've seen the emptiness of the world. They've seen the beauty of Christ. They said, I want him. I don't need that stuff. I want him. They've tasted and seen that God is good, and they want more of him. Old people can affirm the glory of God like young people can't. The church needs old people like that who long for nothing more than the glory of the Lord in this life and the next life. Forevermore. Too many old people live like they're on the last day of vacation. You know what I mean? Last day of vacation, what do you do? We got to do all the stuff you didn't do the first few days of vacation, so you got to hit everything you can, wear yourself out before you go home. That's how some old people live now. They have extra money, so they're going to live it up. Often they call it retirement. It's a socially acceptable opportunity to prioritize yourself. Socially acceptable. Socially acceptable. It's not a Bible. We need old people who live like the Lord is on high forever, and soon they're going to him, and they're going to live today for him because they're going to be with him forever. We need old people to instruct young people how worthy God is in their final days, though they could live this life for themselves now because they got the money and the time. They choose to live it for God because he's worth it. We don't need old people who show us how good this life can be once kids are gone and you don't have a nine-to-five. Fourth season, saints are most able to give evidence of the Lord's victory. You can find this in verses 9 to 11. The psalmist witnessed the Lord's victory. Sometimes young people haven't been in a battle for the Lord, let alone see the Lord conquer anything for them. In verse 9, the psalmist is like, God's got it. Just bank on it. God's going to win. Verse 10 and 11, the psalmist gives testimony that God fought battles on his behalf the psalmist had enemies. Life wasn't easy for him. But verse 10, God exalted his horn. It's a symbol of power and leadership, military strength and dominance. God exalted him. God made him the alpha ox. And that doesn't like strike fear into our hearts. But the wild ox ruled his territory ruthlessly. We don't know many oxen very often. But if you've ever stood between a mama cow and a baby calf and done anything that made it go moo, you know the fear that an 800-pound angry animal can put in you will slap some horns on it, and that's this wild ox running around the ancient Near East. The wild ox of the ancient Middle East was terrifying if they were provoked. They have horns. They knew how to use them. And the psalmist says, God made me stronger than my enemies. But who made him what? God made him stronger who, who poured oil over him? Who made him strong, made him rich? God made him what he was. God made him victorious. Don't young people need to hear that? That God is the one who brings both temporal and eternal victory? I mean, young people, I see young people celebrate when they file their taxes on time for the first time. It's like, oh, I did it by April 15th. It's amazing. Like, there's old people that have done that like 60 times. You're not that impressive. We think we are, but age brings a wonderful perspective to life. And the godly older saint, it's a perspective that exalts God and puts him where he should be, high above everything else. In our life. So don't fail to see the struggle of this life. Life is not designed to be easy. Life is designed to cause us to be dependent on the Lord. And that comes in the difficulties from the Lord that God often fights on our behalf that this psalmist is worshiping the Lord for. The seasoned saints model how to endure struggling and how to deal with suffering, they model how to endure hardships, how to endure trials. The psalmist surely went through lots of life. Sometimes I wonder, young people, have you sat down with an older people to ask them about the trials that you're in? When I hear young people talk about their trials like they're the only one in their trials, that is a flashing red light that you're a young fool. Because older people have already gone through your trials. You say, but I'm special. Well, you are, but you're not unique. All of God's people have gone through lots of the same trials over and over, sit down with an older person and talk to them, learn from them that life was hard and ugly, even terrible for them at times. But God made them strong. God gave them strength. God made them victorious. God elevated them out of the mess and the muck and the mire to be his people that would serve and follow after him. Sometimes we need to hear that God has done it for others, even in a different situation, but God has acted on their behalf. The older saints of our body are the evidence of the Lord's victory for us. They're evidence of what we trust in that God works out. God brings victory. Even in temporal defeat, God is bringing victory through his grace and an ultimate victory that we will one day enjoy forever. So older folks, are you in ministries? Are you engaged in relationships where you can testify and be evidence of the Lord's victory in your life? I was thinking of some of the ways GBC older folks have been through battles in this life and seeing God provide ultimate victory. And it's, un, it's, it's mind-boggling to think of all the trials that the collective group of our saints have gone through and seeing God bring them out of, and, and they still love them. This is not a comprehensive list. But young people, listen to what some of our old people have gone through. We have people in this church who have lost a child and then found Christ. We have young people who have, or old people who have lost a spouse and been preserved by God for years. We have many old people who have lost a job. Many older people who have lost their own company, had it fail. Or they've lost a farm. Or only to see that God cared for them when their bank account couldn't. They've seen it and you struggle with it. They've seen it happen over and over, and we're thinking, well, I'm the only one that struggles with this. We have people who pursued an unbiblical divorce or had a spouse leave, and through it all, were saved. We have people who've seen God bring a spouse to them that honors God, or have lived the fruitful lives of singleness. They thought trials were too much for them, but God's Love cared for them through the difficulty. We have other people who struggle with older children abandoning the faith only to see them decades later come back to the Lord. Children who never pursued the Lord, they're begging the Lord daily to save them. They're going through these trials as, as we get all worked up about our five-year-old. So many trials from our older people, so many struggles Some had their sin exposed publicly, had to repent to many and be restored. Some had marriages that were on the brink of divorce, like they both had filed papers, and then they decided, you know what, let's give it one more shot, and God brought them victory. And we think we're the only ones to struggle. Some of our older people were practically abandoned as a child. Maybe they were adopted, and they've grown up to love the Lord. They've served him. Things like this have happened not just to you and your family, but to this family. Our older people have decades and decades and decades worth of evidence that God brings victory for his people. They live Paul's sentiment in Romans 8 verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? They live that. They say, yeah, that was me. Everything was against me, but God was for me, so here I am loving him. Older people, they, we need you in our life. Younger people, get yourself engaged in life with older people. If you're feeling like you're going through something alone, you're one, wrong, and two, just unwise. But older people, we need you in our life before the battle. Because once we're in the battle, we're not going to listen. So get in our life before the battle. Older people, they live through Philippians 1, 6. And I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus. They feel that. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm headed in that direction. Younger people, you realize the older people who are calm now and mild-mannered and they don't yell or things They used to be different. Just ask their spouse. Alone. It might tell you the truth. People grow. So you look at these people that you think, well, I can't relate to them. Yeah, they can relate to you because they used to be you. They have decades of the Lord's victory wrapped around their soul, they're confident in the Lord. They're looking forward to the return of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. The Lord who will sustain them to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We look to our job. We look to our savings. look to our government. But seasoned saints who look to the Lord are one of the most beautiful graces that God has given his people. If you don't know them, you're not learning from them. They give evidence of the Lord's past victory and hope for the future. Our older people, they've been there and done that and seen God deliver them. They live out Jude 24 and 5, not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only one God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. They know God delivers Their lives are trails of God's victory. Not always temporal, but always eternal. Old people, you can label yourself however you want, but old people, get yourselves in situations to proclaim the glory of the Lord to younger people. Younger people, close your mouth long enough to listen and hear the beauty of what God has done in the lives of older people. Young people, we need it. Old people, we need it. But what exactly is it? Is it just like a story time? No. Look at Psalm 92, verse 12. Verses 12 to 15, seasoned saints are active in the production of the Lord's fruit. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Both of these illustrations are a bit foreign to us. The psalm, or the palm, is the embodiment of gracefulness and steadfast re- resilience. The date palm is the embodiment of these ideas normally it's considered the referent here it's the impressive tall palm tree of the ancient israel region the trees can grow about a hundred feet tall they can live 200 years and they can withstand whatever the weather sends their way they're beautiful trees they're fruitful trees they're constantly producing a harvest of sweet dates and days before sweet and low sweet dates were what you wanted Date palms lined palaces, date palms lined important places. Date palms were a symbol of planning ahead and reaping their reward. Sweet date cakes, the righteous flourish like the palm tree. And end of verse 12, they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The cedar of Lebanon was known for their natural dignity and stability and their seemingly timelessness. Cedar of Lebanon grows about 80 feet tall. And can survive for millennia. They were a prized possession in the ancient world where ships made you rich. Especially along the Fertile Crescent where there weren't a lot of trees. There was no forests like those in Europe. And so people in the ancient Near East they, or Middle East, they loved these trees. Building with the cedars of Lebanon was an absolute luxury. Their beams were strong and the beauty was full. If you'll remember, Solomon's temple was in part built with these Lebanese cedars. My fear when we hear cedar is we think the junk cedars of the Sandhills. Those are not what the author is pointing us to. Here's a few pictures. Here's a cedar tree 15 years ago in Lebanon. It's beautiful. That's my wife. You're wondering why I put some lady up there. But... (laughs) Here's another one for scale with some Lebanese pastors pointing to this verse in their MacArthur study Bible. My bad, there you go. And then there's a there's a big old Lebanese cedar tree that they say was planted somewhere around the time of Solomon. No idea if that's true or not, but it's big. Notice the contrast we find in these verses between... Verse 7, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. Verses: the righteous flourish in the courts of our God. Verse 13, the righteous are planted in the house of the Lord. The wicked sprout like grass. What a promise for the Sabbath song. Rest in this, Israel. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord and flourish in the courts of our God. You see, God brought you here. God made you his. God will help you. God will keep you. God will be for you. You're in his courts, protected by his power. And who do righteous, mature, wonderful trees in the psalmist's in the psalmist's mind, who, who, what are they doing? Verse 14, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Even in old age, even old people bear fruit. Don't get mad at me, Psalmist said it. They're full of sap. Some of our old people need to check their dipstick. You've got it in there. (laughs) You love the Lord. It's there. Get it out. Sap in a maple tree doesn't make syrup. Come on. Just because you're old doesn't mean you can retire. You're full of sap and green. Why? Look what he says. Why are you full of sap and green? They still bear fruit in old age. Verse 15. To declare... That the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him." The psalmist doesn't say, "Jump into VBS." Like that would kill me. <laughs> he doesn't say you have to help with Love Hutch. I get it. He doesn't say you have to go on a mission trip. But he says, you declare that the Lord is who He says He is. When you're old, that's your job. You declare. The Lord is who he says he is. I think the psalmist understood old people are beautifully equipped for this. They have what the rest of God's people need. They have proof that God is who he says he is. It's not what they heard from somebody. It's what they lived. It's not what they think might be true. It's what they know to be true. But maybe as an old person, you say, man, I'm tired, worn out. Aches and pains abound. Okay. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul is one of many who felt the aches and pains of life. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Here's Paul in prison saying, I am done. It is over. I wonder how Timothy responded to that. You imagine Timothy showing up like, Paul, pony up, man. You're not dead yet. Let's go. We can keep moving. We can keep going. Paul said, I've been poured out. He felt the loneliness. He needed Timothy. He wanted John Mark. He's like, help a brother out. Life is hard. Bring me a coat and the Bible. He was a man who shaped a continent for Christ, but was lonely and poor in earthly friendships and rich in trouble at the end of his life. And what did he do? There in the midst of his earthly struggles, he fought for heavenly fruit. He proclaimed the goodness of God. He proclaimed that God is who he says he is and he will not change. We need older people like that. Psalm chapter 71, verse 18 says, the passion of older people is to make the greatness of God known before they die. Psalm 71, 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Oh, that God would give us seasoned saints like this to make the passion of their final years to spin themselves, to make God look like he is who he says he is. May our seasoned saints get old for the glory of God and live for him in their old age. We need seasoned saints that seek to make God wonderful to the coming generations. Not seasoned saints that seek to make retirement wonderful. I've got nothing against retirement. Sometimes people say, well, you just don't like retirement. No, I I love retirement. It gets a bad rap. i got nothing against it. If you've worked hard, saved your money, figured out how to sell the farm, whatever you've done, and you can retire and get out of your vocation at the end of your life and keep yourself afloat, I think it's great. Praise the Lord in your retirement. But I don't mean praise the Lord for your retirement. I mean praise the Lord in your retirement. Make everything about your life all for him. You've been set free from the cares of this world in retirement. Live for the glory of God. Be the one who is off the clock and on for Christ. Give your time to bearing fruit in old age. Check the dipstick. Let's go. Maybe say, Pastor, I'm tired. I worked hard. I raised my family. I'm ready for rest. Maybe say, I, you know, I want to. It's just my health. I can't do it. I think we should all agree that that is the exception, not the rule. You are called in old age to fruit. You say, but if I do too much, I could get sick. If I get sick, I could die. No, you are going to die. What are you going to do until then? There is no earthly ill that a heavenly resurrection cannot cure. Bear fruit in old age. Have you ever heard of Charles Simeon? Interesting fellow. He's a pastor in early 1800s, in England. He was a bachelor, devoted his life to ministry. And in his journal and in other places, in a few of his sermons, he promised to give God every hour of his entire life until he turned 60. And then he declared that he was going to take a Sabbath evening, meaning he was going to retire from ministry in Coast. I mean, this is his proclaim- this, like He made this public, put it in his diary, said this is what's going to happen. Guess what happened when he turned 47. God took his health. He went from vibrant and impressive, a preacher that shook the earth, a powerful and productive man, to he struggled in everything but prayer. He could barely get from his parsonage to his pulpit. For 17, no, 13 years, from the time he was 47 until 60, Charles Simeon struggled. His voice Failed. He was a powerful preacher, and then all of a sudden, in his own congregation, while he was preaching, people just talk over him because he could barely whisper. He Wouldn't even listen anymore. Went on for thirteen years with bad health, being mediocre at all of his duties because nobody could really hear him. And then he turned sixty. About the time he turned sixty, when he told God he was going to take this Sabbath evening. You find this quote in his diary around his 60th birthday. It says, I seem to hear my master saying, I laid you aside, referencing those 13 years, because you entertained with satisfaction the thought of resting from your labor. But now you have arrived at the very period when you had promised yourself that satisfaction and have determined instead to spend your strength for me to the last hour of your life. I have double Triple and quadrupled your strength that you may execute your desire on a more extended plan. He was 60 when God gave him back his health. He lived for another 17 years, preaching the gospel until he was 77 and taken into his real retirement, his eternal retirement. Friend, if you desire to bear fruit in old age, God will give you the strength to do what God desires from you. Old people, Find a ministry that works for you. Find one. You say, but. No buts. Find one. I hear my grace group doesn't get over until 8. Okay, take a nap. Schedule it in. Sleep in the next day. Can't sleep in the next day? I hear you. I understand. Take a nap the next day. Make the ministry that God has given you the priority and not the other things. Just start. You don't need anything but desire and time to make much of the Lord and tell his people what he has done. That's all you need. And young people need you. Believe it or not, we are in need of your testimony of the Lord's preeminence. We are in need of your example of the Lord's joy. We are constantly needing you to affirm the Lord's glory and be real, physical, tangible evidence of the Lord's victory in your life and to be producing fruit by proclaiming that God is exactly who he says he is. Praise God for those amongst us who have walked with God and can speak from experience who he is